Welcome to episode five of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. I'm Brian Egan from the class of 86. This week and next week, we're focusing on the Gonzaga Dramatic Association. So much of the school's rich history involves theater. And it was 125 years ago this very month that the Gonzaga College Hall opened up in 1896, what we now call the Sheehy Theater and the Warman Stage. This is part one of a two-part visit that'll conclude next week, just ahead of a special celebration in the Sheehy Theater of Gonzaga's Bicentennial, celebrating 200 years of producing performers for others. Joining us this week, Paul Buckley, Mr. Buckley to many students. He's a member of the class of 86 and has been a part of the Gonzaga faculty for a while now. Roger Schlegel from the class of 83, and also Alan Latois, member of the class of 73, longtime faculty member at Gonzaga. Alan, what do you remember about the plays that you saw or were a part of when you were a student on I Street? I, you know, I always thought the shows that we did were really good high school shows. There was a kind of a seat of the pants quality about them that I, I liked. I remember my senior year, Guys and Dolls, they had built this set for the, the mission where we were gambling while they were out front singing what I'll know when my love comes along or something. No, no. The next song. I've never been in love before. Yeah, yeah. Hung from the back was the New York City skyline. And of course, it was pieces cut from, cut from wood of the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building and this and that. And we're, these folks are singing. And Matt O'Connor is up on his little platform behind this, this wall. The audience can see him. They could, the audience can see those three people. They can't see us. All of a sudden, we hear, over the music, we hear ping, ping. And we start looking up. And we realize the wires holding the Empire State Building on one side of it are starting to fray. Ping. Here comes the Empire State Building. This is during a performance. Swinging down right toward Matt O'Connor. We all went, Matt, watch out. He ducks down and the Empire State Building goes over his head. Audience roars with laughter. While these, Kent Nochero was her name. And I, John, John, I'm sorry, I can't remember their names. They're out singing this song and the Empire State Building is swinging and it's this sweet, lovey song. And it's supposed to be this deep emotional moment. And the audience is roaring with laughter and they don't know why the audience is laughing at them. It was just, <laughs> it was just wonderful. That is a perfect Gonzaga theater moment. Whether it's a prop going wrong or someone forgetting something, it's it's in those improvised moments where you remember it forever. Exactly. It's the mistakes. It's like what you remember is the mistakes. Roger, are there any mishaps that you recall being involved in? As a student, you know, I was never all that good at remembering dance steps, lines in, in order. It was the end of <laughs> act one of On the Town and I'm on the stage. I'm one of the three sailors with Graham Hunt and Andrew Prosky. And we had this huge three-page back and forth thing was setting up the entire suspense of the show to leave a cliffhanger for the intermission. About 10 seconds into it, I jumped to my last line. <laughs> oh, oh no. Andy said his line, Graham said his, and then without missing a beat, we went back and we picked up every plot thing we needed to get in there. We just made stuff up and we went off stage. We were like, how did we do that? You know, and it was just because you had to. It's, it's like when, Paul, you remember singing in the rain when the stage crew 
finished the set on the afternoon of opening night. Oh my God, yeah. And all the chorus line of girls who used to enter through the back of the fireplace in the total pitch black found that there was a back to the fireplace. Oh now. My gosh. And you just hear like, all these people running into each other. Well, remember, remember, uh, Tuesday during uh, coconuts, they would paint the floor on, they used an oil based paint three or four in the afternoon. Why is this and, sticky? And, it's, and it, it takes eight hours to dry. We're like, we are never going to finish this in time. And so, and, and it was, it was one of us that, wait, this is the temporary floor we put down for singing in the rain from two years ago. So, Rob and his crew just started. Getting out the power drills and ripping up the entire floor. Oh, right, that's right. Yeah. And this, and they got done with uh, like six thirty or something, like right before the house opened. And if you weren't involved in GDA as a student, if you just attended the plays, or if you were a parent and all you saw was the final performance, you didn't understand all the special magic that went into making sure that the show would go on. Yeah, this world backstage. That you you can remember it, you can smell the dust, and there's there's girls, and there's you know hubbub, and people trying to stay out of sight, and somebody's about to miss their entrance, and the audience doesn't see that, and they don't see like when I was in Good News, how there was a birthday cake that Sylvester would bring me. I was the star quarterback. He would I'd be like, thank you, Sylvester. He was like the guy who was tutoring me, and I would set it on the mantle, and then as soon as the curtain went down the ground crew would run out to grab the cake so they could consume it. Well, one night the the guys up in the grid had this idea and they had a, a hook ready. They had a guy hiding behind the couch or under the bed of the dorm room and he dove out. You know who that was? My brother, Peter. That was your brother, Peter. So he dove out, he hooked the cake up to this basket. Of course, he, he dove out while the whole audience could see him. He didn't care. They were going to get that cake. Something happened during that scene. The ground crew guys saw him and figured out what, what law crew was going to do. And so they tried to like get in there first and he managed to just walk out with the cake. Apparently Paul, you mentioned your brother, walk us through your family's connection to the Gonzaga dramatic association and how early you got exposed to the Gonzaga theater. My second oldest brother, uh, Anthony class of 79, he was in the shows when he was uh, an upperclassman. And back then the fall play was always a Thanksgiving. Like they had a show on Thanksgiving day. And so we used to have Thanksgiving dinner early so that Anthony could get down to Gonzaga and get and make call. And then we would, you know, clean up and then we'd go down and see the show that night. And I don't know how we stayed awake after Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, but I just remember Thanksgiving always being uh, when we'd come back and see the show. And then we would go back and see it again on Friday night. Uh, but that was just, it was Thanksgiving. We'd see the, the, the fall musical. And then we went back and saw the spring musicals. And back then, I just remember just being blown away by these amazing performances. And so the theater was, was just the, the spectacle of the spring. And we used to witness it. And, and so my brother Tony was uh, in the plays, my brother Lawrence was on stage crew, and then my brother Peter was on stage crew, and my sister Carla, who's Immaculata, she was in the shows. And so I had all these siblings before me who were doing show after show, and it's kind of like, by then I, I'd already known who you know Mr. Warren was and who Brother King was because I was going to all these performances and my mom was president of Mother's Club, so she was aware. So you know, I almost kind of grew up in that theater before I ever got to be a student there. And so it was kind of natural that when I went there, I would do the shows. And so I did stay true for my first show. And then I tried out for Man of La Mancha for the spring of my freshman year and I got cut. <sighs> so I tried out for Barnum. I made it as a, as a juggler 
and I did shows from then on. And then at that point, I was I was hooked. Roger, for those listening who've never actually been in a play on I Street, can you distill down the essence of what being a part of the Gonzaga Dramatic Association really means? Well, it's just the ensemble, you know? I guess that's all we are across decades and everything. That was the lesson that Doc Warman and at the time, Mr. King, it didn't matter if you were the 86th person in the cast way back in the corner, or even if you were off stage giggling, you were ruining the show or you were making the show. And it's really true. And so I never really felt like I contributed any more than anybody else. In fact, I probably slowed things down for Alan quite a bit. (laughs) In 2013, there was a long overdue renovation and restoration to the Gonzaga Theater that's now known as the Sheehy Theater and the Warman Stage. Now, for those who spent their time pre-renovation before 2013, the theater had a special quality to it. Did it not, Alan? Yeah, of course, they had the the physical uh, wood loft up there. Stage crew would drop things during shows, a, a, a rubber chicken. And there were rumors that there were beer cans up there. When I got involved as a faculty member, I went up there and I got all the beer cans out. You did? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I had and yes, we, we did clear the, the beer cans out because we were worried about them falling during a show. And what was interesting was that you could date the beer cans by the amount of dust that was on the top of the beer cans that were up on the loft. Uh, I'm not sure that the quality of the, the beer uh, improved over the years. Now, Roger, you were part of the celebrations in 2013, so you got to see the transformation and how much of an improvement the Sheehy Theater is for students on I Street now. Well, I directed the gala kind of alumni skit the night that the theater opened, right? Isn't that right? Yep. Although Alan probably came in and fixed it. It's <laughs> <laughs> not. He <laughs> probably showed up at like 5.30. He's like, Roger, step aside. We got this. Um, you, you say that Alan would change something like right before we opened the show? No, that would never happen. A bunch of amazing people from show business who were Gonzaga alums showed up. And like you could feel the space was ready to support performances in a way that was going to like segue people perfectly into other kinds of theatrical experiences. There no longer had to be the constant refrain of bounce it off the back wall or <laughs> actually going to the top of the balcony and saying, let me hear you say it. I can't hear you louder. Say, it. you know, it's just the old theater was wonderful design. The Jesuits knew how to do acoustics. It, it seemed like you suddenly had the possibility of a new kind of theater culture where it didn't have to feel seat of the pants. It wasn't so much about stage crew. Can you guys uh, wrap it up? Because we're still trying to figure out how to do the big chorus number in act two, because we're going to redo it from scratch. I think while I, I love the microphones, the new law system, to me, the, the best part about the renovation was the scene shop. Because for the life of me, I don't know how stage crew managed to get any set built when all they had to work with was the wings of the stage and they had to end by four o'clock every day so that the cast could get on to rehearse, you know? That's why the Empire State Building went. <laughs> right. That's why the stage crew moderator usually didn't teach for the last couple of weeks. Another recent Gonzaga Dramatic Association tradition that I want to highlight is the trips to Broadway. Paul, explain how this came to be and how it's become something special for those who 
take part in GDA? 2002, we did 42nd Street. And that was just a monster success. Major crowds. And so for the seniors, it was just a great, great moment. I remember the next year, there's always a, a worry that if you have a really big show, that's going to be a come down from that the next year. And so we were doing Oklahoma. At the time, Oklahoma was playing on Broadway. And so we said, well, why don't we go see it on Broadway? That'll inspire us to do a great show. And, and Patty Duke was playing Ann Eller. Wow. And we saw the show. We got to a talk back with Patty Duke and some of the others and took the bus back and got home at like 10 o'clock that night. And the next year, uh, we were doing Footloose and Footloose wasn't playing on Broadway. My co-producer Megan and I are like, well, what do we go see? And actually it was Alex Schuster who said, there's this show on Broadway called Wicked. I had never heard of it. And so like, okay, yeah, sure. And so we got to see Wicked with, you know, Adina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth. And then that's kind of started the, okay, Whoa. we don't have to see the show that's what we're doing, but just going up to see a show, one, it gave them a sense of like all the, the potential and how amazing Broadway is and how they can do anything. And then it also developed into like this sort of, you know, community building event. The bus rides up were fun and we'd have meals. We started doing workshops with Broadway professionals. And, and then actually it was in 2008, I remember, because our, our production of Midsummers had gone so well. Wow, we could actually do an overnight to Broadway and keep the costs really low. And so we did. We actually stayed at a hotel in New Jersey and took buses into New York City. And that started the, the what then became like the three-day, two-night C2 shows overnight trip. And then we really started, to, you know, we started doing like to the 9-11 Memorial one year. Alan, you should take them on all sorts of cool trips. Yeah, we'd, we'd go to the High Line and we'd go, uh, we'd take the the subway over across uh, into Brooklyn, and then we walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. They saw various parts of New York. I remember they were really excited to meet Steven Tyler in the street. That's wrong. He just was it just random. Yeah, and I have this other random memory. There, there was I, I was trying to look up his name here. There was a student who went up, and he was a actually a really good organist like church organist. J.J. Mitchell? I can't remember. I don't think so. But he he took the opportunity. He said, can I sneak around the corner right now? Because there's this amazing church and I want to play their organ. You know, and it was like, it was that kind of thing where you'd see kids who had like a certain pet project that they might get to do, you know, during that little bit of free time, a certain dream they had of New York and they'd go off and do it. Bill, Bill Wilson went with us as a uh, chaperone on one of the trips and he had a dream about New York too. We went to the largest Halloween store in downtown <laughs> New York, and uh, Bill, Bill was in a kind of heaven uh, because B Bill was a, a huge uh, Halloween fan. It was like visiting a shrine for him. Yeah. What a great tradition the trips to New York have turned into for members of the Gonzaga Dramatic Association. Roger, a little bit earlier, I heard from Paul with his backstory of how his family drew him into the theater. What was it for you? My best friend, Pat Paddock, was like, will you come audition with me because I want to get into this musical and meet some girls, you know? And there's kids who are in the shows to meet people, you know? That was, it was a cruise ship. It was a, the best cruise ship you could ever get a ticket on. But there were lots of kids who were really, really serious about their craft, like Demetrius Gross. Mm -hmm. He was working. And, and so many kids, you can remember how they would go off and they'd be like, we got to work this scene. They'd be in the theater lobby and they'd be out in the parking lot. You know, they'd be down in the hallway in Coleman Hall, just like, we got to get this. We got to get this. And those are the kids who later on, you're, you're like, wow, you're, you're actually like technical director. You're actually... Uh, you're, act, you're actually in TV. You're you're actually like a, a dramaturge. You know, it's just like the, the roles they get into 
it's it's because they they really got right away this is craft that was often one of my favorite moments when you just said there in tech week would be when it's after you two have done your big talk about everything you've gone through all the scenes it sounds like you said it's your show now and you'd have the seniors gathering their group of actors they work with and say, okay, we got to run this scene and got to run it over and over until it's perfect. And when they took ownership like that, that to me was the coolest moment. One thing that was different about the GDA as opposed to say like a sports team is that, you know, when you get to like the performances, not only were the, the kids making the plays, but they were the kids calling the plays too. Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, they were both the players and the coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all sort of sit back like, nah, it's your show now. You go run it. There's no timeouts. At whatever point in the last 11 days that they realize that, that's when it suddenly becomes a real show. But 11 days out, there's no show at all. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and we're all going crazy. Now, I'm sure all three of you have seen some incredible performances, either individually or as an ensemble, across the years that you've been a part of the Gonzaga Dramatic Association. Is there anyone that stands out? Let's start with you, Alan. I believe it was two weeks before we opened in 72, Guys and Dolls. The young lady who, again, I apologize, I don't remember her name, was Adelaide. She's out, God bless her, in the parking lot where the gym is now at Gonzaga. And one of the guys drives a car over her foot, breaking her foot. This is two weeks before we opened. So they needed a new Adelaide. And Mary Lou Melanoski was given the role. And she had two weeks to learn everything. And she, she did perform the first weekend. The other girl was well enough to play the, the second weekend. But that, to my mind, that was the most amazing thing that I ever saw anybody do. What about you, Roger? Do you remember Jason in Inherit the Wind? Is that the first show after the 175th? Yeah, something like that. The first non-musical we did. Right. He happened to have like actual biological stage fright. He had his one line. He had to come out and he had to tell the mayor, the train is here. The train is here. It's in the station. And he, he knew perfectly how to do it. And then he would come out and he'd be like, ah, he would just freeze up. We worked it for weeks and it was, it was the night before it was going to open. And he still, he still was just beside himself. Finally, someone helped him. We, we, we walked it through. We're like, you're not even acting. You're taking a left, a right, a left, a right, a left and a right, which brings you're coming in from stage left. So now you're going to be facing the audience and then your hands go here. We just did all the moves. And when your hands go here, you say the train. And when you pull them in, you say it's coming. And then you point back where you came from. You say the train on point. And then you swing back on coming. And he nailed it every time after that. And I, I don't know where he is now, but I bet he's extremely successful. That's I, awesome. When I think about Hairspray, and I think about the people who sang in that show, Joe Mata, Clay Tondro, Dahlia Hamilton, Nick Williams, Maddie Rizzo, who, who sang the wonderful, what was the name of the song that she sang toward the... Uh, toward the All uh, Crabs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just, just fabulous. You know, Monique Barnes, Jessica McHenry, Tommy Boyce. It was just, it was magical. And that was certainly an ensemble show. When we were able to get the voices that we needed for these shows, another Kiss Me Kate, between Garrett Johns, Anna Sheridan, Joe Boston. I actually talked to Tom Lavin just the other day. He and Connor Riley and Garrett were the threesome. But you're missing the best part of that, and you're, you're being self-effusive uh, there. But best number in that show, and one of the all-time best numbers I think we've ever done, was Brush Up Your Shakespeare. It was perfect. That number was one of the most perfect numbers I've ever seen on that stage. Connor and Nate 
just absolutely played off each other to absolute professional perfection. And the best thing for me about it was Connor because he wanted so badly to contribute. You know, he wanted so badly to, to have something to do for a show. It's his last show, he's a senior. His brother Kyle, of course, had been such a big success that he wanted to have his moment. And so we gave him the other mobster along with Nate. From the acting standpoint, he's a great foil in that regard. But, you know, this is a musical number. Just the two of them played off each other so perfectly. It was choreographed brilliantly. Connor's enthusiasm with Nate's just natural talent. It's actually rare when, like, you go back and watch some of these shows we have, and often they're kind of, it was good at the time. But that number, I can watch over and over and over again. And never get tired of it, even though it has like 4,000 verses to it. Alan, you and the GDA went through something in March of 2020. No other production was ever faced with before. With opening night of Newsies a day away, COVID causes Gonzaga to shut down, move to a virtual footing, and the performance never happens. It was very tough. I can't remember a show that was more difficult to put all three of the parts together, the singing, the acting, and the dancing. It took forever for everything to come together. And it was finally doing it. When we ran the first dress rehearsal, which was the last performance that we ran, it was there. It had come together in that kind of magical way that, that things do. And we were looking forward to coming back for the Wednesday rehearsal. And we were told we couldn't do it. I felt terrible for the seniors, most of all, but for, for all the kids, because it had finally clicked. You know, they, they have to own these shows. They, they have to get it. And they finally got it on that one night, and they couldn't show it to anybody. And that was probably the hardest part of it. They all said, yeah, it was, it was tough, but it wasn't the worst thing that's, that's ever happened to them and all of that. But I, I knew that wasn't true. I, I knew it was really hard. I just tried to be comforting for him and uh, like I always am, right, Paul? I would completely agree with that statement. Right. I'm going to pause our visit right there with Paul, Alan, and Roger, and we'll continue focusing on the Gonzaga Dramatic Association next week in episode six. Next weekend, the Sheehy Theater is going to be hosting something special, and a couple of the students who are going to be involved with it, I want to introduce to you right now. Hey, it's James Miller, uh, class of 2022. I'm actually right now involved in my seventh play at Gonzaga. So freshman year, I did both the fall play and the musical, which uh, was Midsummer Night's Dream and then Grease. Sophomore year, the fall play, which was the Laramie Project, and then Newsies, although we never actually got to perform, but I was still part of it. And then last year, we had a collection of monologues and the uh, SpongeBob musical. And I'm now involved in the uh, show, which is Almost Maine. James, what was it like watching the upperclassmen in the spring of 2020 find out that Newsies wasn't going to happen? Yeah, no, it was definitely pretty hard. I know for everyone in the cast, but in particular, those seniors who had worked so hard on their last show on stage. COVID shutdown really happened the night before our opening night. So we had school up until that last day. You know, seeing some of the some of the guys go through that was definitely really hard. But I think, you know, we were able to keep the GDA kind of alive. And, uh, and so I think it, it still, you know, made a good connection, even though we couldn't perform. James, what was it like last year being a part of SpongeBob? Uh, it was great. You know, plays have been a big part of my, my time at Gonzaga. So, you know, even though we couldn't get the whole cast in person, still having a couple days where we could come in person and record you know, sound bites and just being able to see that group on a Zoom call and have those connections was, was really important. And it, I felt like it was something that Gonzaga really needed at that time. Now, are you going to be part of the celebration on the 16th? I am, yeah. So 
Mr. Buckley has a, a big, big show planned, big celebration planned. He's asked all the current GDA members and a lot of GDA alumni to come be a part of that. And also joining us is John Jero from the class of 22, uh, current SGA president. Congratulations on that, John. That's quite an accomplishment. Thank you. The theater is back. How much anticipation and excitement is there for what's coming in November when the play opens? It's honestly unbelievable. I mean, when I first joined GDA, my start of junior year, and I was doing the monologue production, I honestly did not think we would be back at Gonzaga for another production in my time at Gonzaga. I thought we were going to have to be doing these virtual recordings and we wouldn't be able to sit down everyone and she, he to know that we are going to have people watching us perform almost main. It's just incredible. It, it, it shows that you can never give up on the people at Gonzaga and what we can accomplish. John, I imagine just being able to audition in person was exciting this year. It felt amazing. Also, since I've been going to Sheehy since I was a kid, since my dad and brother went here, it just it felt very full circle to me. And I really enjoyed my first audition. Now, next Saturday night, the Sheehy Theater is going to be hosting 200 years of performing for others, a celebration of the Gonzaga Bicentennial. John, I assume that Mr. Buckley has asked you to be a part of this? He has. We, we're very excited to get to work for Gonzaga's 200th birthday and make it an amazing production. It's going to be a big celebration. If you want to find out more, check out gonzaga.org slash bicentennial. John, James, best of luck with the rest of the school year. I'll see you at the Sheehy Theater on the 16th. Thank you. Thank you so much. That puts a wrap on episode five of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. Next week in episode six, part two of the conversation with Alan Latois, Roger Slagle, and Paul Buckley. We'll talk about the legacy of theater icons like John Warman and Brother John King, as well as the important additions of some very talented young women who over the last two decades have added so much to the Gonzaga Dramatic Association experience. And yes, we'll talk about Alan's puppet shows. That's all ahead next week. Again, I can't thank you enough for the feedback. Podcast at Gonzaga.org. That's how you can reach me. Subscribe, share, follow, rate, Five stars is always good. We love that. Maybe write a review if you'd like on your podcasting platform and let everyone who you know loves Gonzaga know about the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. Until next time, ad maiorium dei gloriam and hail Gonzaga. Martin.